So this scripture you are about to hear, you've no doubt heard before. It appears only in the Gospel of Matthew. It is about the sorting of the sheep and the goats, as Pastor Seth talked about this morning. Uh, And even though it is one of my favorite uh, Bible passages, it's also one of taking sides, something I don't always love. Um, And it's one also that Laura says is one of her least favorite gospel passages. It is the very last parable in uh, the Uh, of Jesus in in Matthew's gospel before he goes on to his death. And it's a depiction of the so-called last judgment. Now, those of you who have been bludgeoned by church doctrine in your past about who will be cursed and who will be rewarded, those of you who carry that baggage of the who is in and who is out, and for God's sake, how can I punch my ticket to heaven? Um, I want you to stick with me here. I admit that Matthew sometimes gives me a pain. Unlike Jesus, he spends a lot of his time sorting. He's a pretty binary guy. Things are black or white, they're good or bad. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you are somebody like that. Maybe we can all sometimes be someone like that. But we know that life is never as clear-cut as Matthew makes it out to be. So in the parables preceding this passage, Matthew has been doing just that. Matthew using... Jesus' words, sorting the wheat from the tares, the good seed from the bad, the wise maidens from the foolish ones. And so in this case, he tells the story of the sheep and the goats. The sheep and goat herds of Matthew's time would have, been, would have put the sheep and goats all together out in the fields. Um, and yet when because goats were a little less tolerant of the cold, the two animals were sorted at night. But I'm not really sure what Matthew had against the goats. But I think the gospel writer tells these sorting stories not as a bludgeon or a tale to scare us away from eternal torment and into heaven. I think he tells these stories, and this one in particular, because he is very keen on making his point, namely that a relationship with God is not so much a matter of having faith, it's more a matter of doing faith. The scripture reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you who are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, amen. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, we gather here this morning in a season of thanksgiving, wishing we could just sit, as the prophet Micah said, beneath a grapevine and a fig tree, and live in peace and unafraid wishing that all our swords will be turned into plowshares. But that is not the world in which we find ourselves, O oh God. And so gather us in today with each other that we may hear the word you have for us, a word of hope, a word of imagination, word of who we can be with your love and guidance. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Does God take sides? Well, I believe God does, uh, but I don't think God takes sides for or against the goats or the sheep. So full disclosure, I am pretty sure I am not a sheep. You've all been there too, right? You're stopped at a traffic light and someone with a truly heartbreaking handwritten sign comes up to your car window, a sign about their children and their joblessness and their desperation, and you rarely carry cash, I don't, uh, with me this, with us these days, and so my window stays rolled up, thank you very much. Barbara Brown Taylor writes about visiting uh, Washington, D.C. from her rural town in Georgia and being confronted by all the people on the street with their paper cups. And she handed over all her quarters and her dollar bills and, just as she, and she just found herself 
avoiding the people with the cups and began walking past them as if they were not there. Was that the right thing to do? On the Tuesday morning when she was there, a man offered to wash her car in exchange for some money to buy some work boots. So she said yes, but the price had doubled by the time he was through. And on Tuesday afternoon, he came back to offer her a wax job because he needed a hard hat. And so she said yes. And then on Wednesday, he came back for Thanksgiving grocery money. And she said no. Was that the right thing to do? Whether we know it or not, whether we justify it by giving money to worthy causes or we justify it by our own poverty, we often walk by those in need. And we wonder, was that the right thing to do? Matthew would probably know. He seems so sure about what is right and what is wrong, about who is blessed and who is not. And so most of us well-meaning folks get anxious about finding ourselves among the doomed goats instead of the favored sheep. Taylor facetiously says when she reads the story, she begins to review her list. Let's see, she needs at least one hungry person, one thirsty one, one stranger, one naked person, one sick person, and one prisoner so that she can supply in that order food, drink, a warm welcome, some clothes, a hospital visit, and a prison visit. Then, presumably, you and I can be assured that we have safely satisfied all the requirements for ending up with the sheep instead of the goats. We all love a good sorting, a good competition of who is in and who is out. I mean. Isn't that what social media is all about? Making sure all those goats know that they are damn goats? And virtue signaling our own sheephood because you are pretty sure that you are among the elect. But what if that is not at all what this story is about? Notice that it does not seem to matter what the sheep or goats believe, whether they can recite the ancient creeds, or whether they have some sort of personal conversion. It does not even matter what actual faith they espouse. What matters is what they do or do not. What I love about this story is that both groups are equally baffled by the verdict that they receive. When, when was it, Lord, that we saw you? When was it? Neither of these groups remember it. The sheep did not know that they had done the right thing any more than the goats knew that they hadn't. Which, Taylor says, seems to suggest that God's judgment will take us all by surprise, sheeps and goats alike. We can study the syllabus all we want, but God only knows what will be on the final. 
For the characters in this story, the biggest surprise of all seems to be that Jesus knew what they were up to when they did not think he was around. That he occupied, that he, Jesus, occupied only one space as they did. Meanwhile, that left them lots of time for being with other people in their lives, including the ones that did not count, the little ones, the least ones, the waitresses, the door-to-door magazine salesmen, the nursing home residents, the panhandlers, the inmates, the immigrants moving to a tent city in their neighborhood. It is in them, I think, that Jesus resides. In the gift shop at the National Cathedral in Washington, there's a little sign above the cash register to discourage shoplifting, and it reads, we might, have, we might not have seen you take it, but God did. This parable today is saying, in fact, we may not see you, but God does. Ouch. God does take sides. I want you to notice, too, that Matthew's heavy-fisted judgment is not just for us individually, but much more clearly for the nations. It says all the nations will be gathered and sorted. Yes, friends, if we are doing a report card, for our particular nation, um, for what, how our, particu- our particular nation has done for the poor, the hungry, the stranger, the immigrant, the sick, the imprisoned, I would give us a solid C minus, but then I can be kind of judgy too. One more demerit in my goat column. This week, one of the leading presidential candidates advocated the extermination of vermin who oppose him. And when he returns to power, uh, the weeding out of immigrants who will poison the blood of America. Scary stuff for those of us who try to be good sheep. But I also know that there are plenty of goats to go around and sometimes Sheep, we sheep, get it wrong. I recently was sent this meme that illustrates how hard it is in our complex world to do the right thing. Uh, This meme goes like this. I was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was imprisoned and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of God's love. I was lonely and you left me alone to go pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry and lonely and cold. One thing you can say about the sheep, they were never doing it to get 
points so they could be recognized or applauded. There was no expectation of reward or reciprocity. They saw Jesus in others because, hey, Jesus is in others. I know a pastor friend who, when they meet a person in need, says to themselves, oh, Jesus, is it you again? And when you encounter that person, whether it's someone you know or don't know, or even sometimes when you're looking in your own mirror, the only way to know that it really is Christ is to risk that moment of recognition that may break your heart or change your mind or transform your life. Food, drink, clothes, welcome, visit, they are all necessary to life, but by themselves they are only just quarters in a cup. Charity is no substitute for real kinship. God does not call us to be philanthropists or social workers, but rather to be neighbors, to be brothers and sisters. Does God take sides? I think the answer is yes, but it is not on the side of the sheep or the goats, or as I like to think of myself, a kind of goat-sheep hybrid. God's side is most emphatically among people in need, among the hungry and those who can't pay their rent this week among the hurting and the poor, those hidden away in jail. As things heat up in Gaza and Israel, and folks all over the world are taking sides, I think it is clear that God resides deeply in the suffering on both sides. Henry James was only 20 years old in 1981, when after helping a neighbor repair his car, he was misidentified as the man who attacked that neighbor's wife. Although the woman initially stated that she didn't know her attacker, she later picked Henry out of a photo lineup. The evidence that would have exonerated him, results of DNA testing that excluded him from being the attacker, was not presented to the judge or jury by Henry's court-appointed lawyer. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced to life in prison without parole for a crime he did not commit. For the next 30 years, Henry persevered through the harsh conditions of the Louisiana state prison system in Angola. For about 10 of those years, he labored in the prison fields from sunup to sundown, picking cotton, potatoes, tomatoes, and other crops, earning a maximum of four cents an hour. For 30 years, he missed out on his children's lives and on finding a vocation for himself. 
At first, unable to read or write very well, he worked to teach himself those skills so that one day he could write to the innocent team, innocence teams to ask for help. Henry was willing to toe the line and do whatever it took to prove his innocence once and for all. By 2005, he'd heard of the Innocence Project and wrote to ask for help, and they began to look for evidence in his case, but were told that the evidence had been lost. But neither Henry nor the Innocence Project gave up hope. In 2010, they compelled a further search for the missing information, but came up empty. But then about a year later, while searching for evidence in another case, they found Henry's file. The long-awaited DNA testing confirmed that Henry was not the attacker. And just like that, he was freed. With no money or even photo identification and only the few pieces of clothing he'd been given by his lawyers representing him, he found a home with a nonprofit called Resurrection After Exoneration providing transitional housing and supportive services for newly released inmates. Henry James was freed because no one gave up on him. Not Henry, not the Innocence Project, not the crime lab official who recognized the evidence from Henry's case when he found it had been misfiled. Henry was freed because he was visited in prison. He was freed because his lawyers listened and persevered. He was clothed because his legal team knew that he couldn't be naked. He was sheltered because a nonprofit provided a true home for him. Henry moved on to freedom because a lot of someones were able to look beyond the accusations and see the image of Christ in him and they refused to give up. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Friends, can we see Jesus in our neighbors in the seemingly hopeless cases? Do we see how each of them connect us to our creator? Does God take sides, you bet. But not, I think, so much with us poor sheep or those damn goats, or us damn sheep and those poor goats. Jesus called, was called the good shepherd, but I'm pretty sure he was a pretty darn great goat herd too. As Desmond Tutu said, we will probably all be surprised by who we meet in heaven. God has a soft spot for sinners. God's standards are quite low. Friends, God takes sides wherever there is human need. May we create a society, a nation, a community of those who recognize Christ in all we meet. 
May we not do what we do to fluff up our fuzzy fleece for a shepherd's, a sheep's reward, but merely may we be hope for the hopeless and to show mercy and to combat hatred and blindness, to, to show Christ's light and walk with each other, united in love. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.